Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 28, The Big Hurt. Mary, what happened this week? Just a quick heads up before I tell you that this episode features discussions of mental illness and suicide. Please continue at your discretion. Your safety is more important to us than our silly little show. Claire's childhood friend, Prince Carl, spoiled brat and roiled pain, comes to visit and she's not looking forward to it. Steve kind of isn't either because who does he have to be jealous of that isn't actual royalty? But Prince Carl seems to have grown up and changed for the better, befriending Steve and convincing Claire he isn't a bratty little boy anymore. He's a bratty man with a cute smile. And he's going to stay in town for a while. Hope that's okay. I love the first scene where Steve is like, yeah, he's a prince. It's one of the few things that actually impresses me. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be like, false, Steve. So many things impress you. (laughs) Money, Corvettes, fame, hot girls, I don't know. (laughs) Right? Anything that gets you the ability to get one, two, three to all of those things. Yeah. (laughs) False. Gotta love Steve. He just – I sometimes wonder, like, what goes on in his head. You know, like, (laughs) is it noisy up there or is it just kind of like, you know, birds chirping, you know, very peaceful because he's just, like, living life, you know? (laughs) I like to think, yeah, it's very peaceful and he's just living his life. Because when he's not, he is like in complete disarray. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, he's just like, eh, it's alcohol poisoning. Whatever. (laughs) He got a little bit of uh, blood in his alcohol stream. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. So, and I love that Steve like walks up into the condor's nest in a suit because he's like, dude, we're meeting a prince. Like, we're literally dining with royalty. And Claire's just like, no, nah, I'm not going to change. I'm just wearing our gown on. <laughs> I love, I love how casual Claire is. She's like, oh, yeah, my mom and his mom are best friends. And I was mm-hmm. like, who is your mother? I know. Because the only thing we know about her mom was what we learned last week. I think it was last week with her shawl. Like mm-hmm. that was the one thing or one of the few things that Claire had of hers. But we don't hear Claire talk about her mom a lot. So we have no knowledge on this lady's backstory. Yeah. So we know her dad was a diplomat, which is how they ended up in Montmartre or however she fancy pronounces it. <laughs> And then her mom ended up being best friends with the queen, so she was forced to hang out with a prince. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love that they just, like, threw this in. They were like, oh, by the way, royalty. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the trope of, like, the, the prince or the, the people in the royal family are just pains in the buns, you mm-hmm. know? Like, always. They can't ever just be like, no, nah, this dude's pretty chill, you know? Like... I imagine he is, Prince Carl is like the Prince William of it, Mm. not the Prince Harry of it. (laughs) That's fair. Well, and like, Claire wasn't a pain in the butt. Right. (laughs) We remember Claire from high school. Oh, yeah. If she was anything like that when she was nine. Right. And you know, Chancellor Arnold was just like, my daughter is an angel who can do no wrong. Exactly. But it's time to go meet up with Prince Carl. And I love this moment. So Claire gets up. 
She picks up her drink, and then as they're leaving, Steve grabs the napkin off the table. I was oh, like, I That's didn't right. even notice that. I'm a firm believer in leaving things better than you found them and picking up after yourself. I mean, yeah, it's just the common courtesy. Meanwhile, in his mind, Ian Deering was probably just like continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably what it was, but I'm sitting here just like, yeah, you clean up that trash. Mm -hmm. You pick up one thing that you didn't bring in. Everything is better than how you left it. I do enjoy that, like, what we're seeing of Steve and Claire is a little bit more Brandon and Susan these days. Mm -hmm. We're seeing, like, very cute moments. We're seeing little, like, I don't know, the tiny things like Steve picking up a napkin, you know, like the cutesy things, like the cutesy touches, cutesy like pet names, like things like that. And yeah, it boils down to chemistry between actors and things like that. But there is a certain ease to this relationship that I don't know that I was 100% expecting. And I feel like there is this maturity with Steve that I don't think he had before. Agreed. Because... You know, what was it, over Christmas, I think, when he had to go to the faculty party? Mm -hmm. And he was just like, everyone's going to judge me. And he ended up getting drunk and eating, like, beer nuts in the corner. Mm -hmm. And now this time, they pull up to Claire's house where Prince Carl is. And he's got this, like, 1960s Corvette. It's all, you know, beautiful, original pieces. Carl is, I guess, you know, a handsome dude who is also a prince. And Steve is just like, this guy's cool and I want to be friends with him. Yeah. He's like, hey, man, nice car. And Carl literally calls it a vet. So, you know, Steve just like melts on the spot. (laughs) And then he even offers to let Steve drive it later. So how is Steve not exploding? (laughs) Right? He's like acting like a chill dude. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, yeah, this is my boyfriend. Steve and Carl are best friends. Nothing's weird here. Like, what is happening? I know. Like, Steve – because, yeah, I mean, I am not personally attracted to Carl, but I can identify that he objectively is probably an attractive man. Mm -hmm. But for Steve to not even be, like, remotely, I don't know, puffing his chest out or standing a little bit taller, like, that's not the Steve we have come to know. (laughs) Not even a little bit. And I do agree. I – I don't really get it with Carl. I was like, I guess Carl is handsome. He seems kind of loud to me. Yeah. Hey, but he does have the Sean Hunter haircut. So what are you going to do? <laughs> he was very popular 90s boy. Yes, definitely. You know, we've been talking about how it seems like Steve is mature and this is like this great relationship between him and Claire. But the next time we see them, Claire is like, you have to get up. It's time for school. And Steve says, no, don't you remember? We're cutting class today to go to the beach with Carl. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to go to school. I want to go to the beach with my friend Carl. (laughs) And then I think this is where Claire mentions the cufflinks and he's just like, fancy cufflinks? He's like, what's that? (laughs) Tell me more. I'll take them. Um, He also like gets out of bed and he's wearing those extremely long like heart boxers. Mm-hmm. I was almost oh. like, are those pajama board shorts? <laughs> okay, I love the idea of pajama board shorts. That feels very avocado head to me. They were just so long. <laughs> Steve was like, during the day, I have to dress like 
you know, a bro. I have to look like I'm going to see my frat guys or like meeting a prince. But at night, <laughs> that's when I wear the board shorts. It's just so funny to me that like out in public, like daytime in front of everybody, he wears those really, really short shorts. But in like his the privacy of his own bedroom, he wears really, really long shorts. <laughs> Maybe they're his modesty boxers for when he's <laughs> just staying with Claire and her dad is nearby. That's a fair point. I do like that idea. His modesty box. No, come on. Steve would never have modesty boxers. <laughs> but I do love that. <laughs> I love that so much. What if Claire bought them for him to subtly be like, maybe just like a little longer. Like right. my dad can see your butt. Right. <laughs> That would be cute, though, if she was buying him jammies for when she comes to spend the night. Okay. Better take. Steve doesn't wear pajamas. And now that Claire's spending the night, she's like, you have to wear something. (laughs) Yeah. Please. That does feel kind of on brand that Steve would sleep naked. Right? I think I could could see him do that. I could, too. But I guess they do skip school. Yeah. Because we do see them on the beach. And, like, Carl is helping Steve just fulfill his every fantasy. Right? Like, they have bonded over Corvettes, and now Carl is like, me and my rich friends will just bankroll you to go to car shows, buy the cars for us, ship them back to my home country, and then we can make so much money off of this. Yeah. Which, if there's... One thing that Steve loves more than Corvettes, it's money. So, yeah, it's like, this is a match made in heaven, but what's the catch? Right? The whole time I'm sitting here, and I feel like we have talked about this before, that there is no way that this relationship lasts. Like, none of them are going to. Mm -hmm. This is it. It's Carl. Yeah. Hot, rich prince from her childhood that, like, encountered this amazing glow-up and is now not the annoying kid she grew up with. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like you said, I think, either last week or or just on another recent episode. It's like, we are nearing the end. We are, like, very near the end of the season. So we are trying to figure out who um, <laughs> who's going to get paid next season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it going to be Joe? Is it going to be Claire? Is it going to be Susan? Is it going to be, I don't know, uh, Colin? Like, who who are the gang members? Gang members, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> who are the members of the group who are on the periphery that we need to decide if they're either we're going to make them a series regular or they're gone? <laughs> yeah, or they're gone and we need to pay everybody else to continue showing up for 32 episode seasons. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you want to stay? Just here's Colin's paycheck, please. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think the insertion of Carl here, the insertion of um, the the summer internship, you mm-hmm. know, like, and then, of course, when we get to the stuff with Donna and David, yeah, we're starting to find out who's sticking around or not. Yeah, and uh, my money's on zero. See, I think it's I think Claire's still gonna stick around. Even in this scene, so after they finish talking about the cars, I think Claire is like, "Let's talk about something else." And Carl like immediately picks her up to go pretend to throw her in the ocean. 
But then Steve leaves to get them food and it's just Carl and Claire talking together and like purposefully doing things like that where Steve just leaves and the other two are together. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's going in my head of just like Claire and Steve are going to break up and I don't think Claire is going to stick around after that. Yeah. No, that's fair. I just think since she's already a series regular, I'm like she has the highest probability of the Claire, Joe, Colin, Susan of it all. That is fair. I didn't think about that. I'm thinking more like she's already dated half the group. They're like, we're out of people for her to date. Sure. She has to go. No, that's fair. Um, I also like loved in that moment, though, the talking about Claire and Steve's relationship and like their little cutesy moments, because like Steve's like, I'm going to go get us some hot dogs. Are you hungry? And Claire's like, no, I'm not hungry. And Steve's just like, I'm going to go get you one anyway, because you're going to want some of mine. And I'm like, God, if that is not the tell of like a solidified relationship then I don't know what is (laughs) every relation I swear every time John and I order food I ask him ahead of time I'm like can I have a couple of your fries Mm -hmm. if not let me know now because I only want some I don't want a total order right whereas if that were me Nate would be the one that says, can I have some of your fries? And I would be like, absolutely not. You're going to have to order your own. (laughs) Oh, I just love that Steve is like, nope, I don't really care what your answer is. Your answer is yes. (laughs) Well, because even if she has like one bite of that hot dog, you know, Steve will finish the rest of it. Oh, for sure. Exactly. For sure. And, you know, we take this like break away from them. There's a couple of like small scenes about them where I guess they're at a party or something and Carl pulls Steve aside and finally gives him those royal cufflinks, Mm -hmm. which I think is the funniest thing that he just learned about the royal cufflinks and within 12 hours he gets them. (laughs) He's like, I've gotten them already. Does that mean I'm in? (laughs) (laughs) He's so happy. Oh, and he does the little like snap to close it. Uh Uh-huh. It's like he's in heaven right now. He's just straight up giddy. And even Claire is like, oh, hey, what are those? Mm-hmm. She knows. She knows how excited he is. Oh, yeah. I mean, he even brings them to the peach pit next time he goes. And, of course, this is where we get to see Nat. So I'm, you know, got to have that fulfilled obligation. <laughs> um, but Steve is obsessed with these cufflinks. He's like, they're royal. They signify royalty. Do you see that crust on it? Um, and, yeah, this is like Nat's just like okay, cool. Can I go now? And like, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, all of that, like, you know, Claire, he says that Claire and Carl are supposed to meet him there, um, at the peach pit. So we pop over to them and they are arriving at the peach pit, but before they go in, this is where Carl's like, Hey, I'm real happy. I came here. I'm. you can see I'm a changed man. I'm thinking about, you know, sticking around, you know, my parents said it was cool. And also like, I can handle some duties here. What duties Duty. do you have from whatever country you're a prince of that need to happen in Beverly Hills is beyond me. But, hey, doesn't matter. He's like, I kind of want to stick around if it's, uh, if it's all right with you. hope it's all right with you. And Claire's just like, yeah, it is. And, like, glances down to his mouth and then back up to his eyes. I was going to say, you can see it in their <laughs> eyes. And so according to the wiki, the song that was originally supposed to be playing – while Steve is showing Nat the cufflinks, is a song titled, It Hurts to Be in Love. Oh, boy. And the lyrics 
because I, I looked up a lot of lyrics this week. Start with, it hurts to be in love when the only one you love turns out to be someone who's not in love with you. It hurts to love her so when deep down inside you know she will never want you no matter what you do. Whoa. Right? I was like, this changes everything. <laughs> so is that from Carl's perspective, I assume? I can't tell yeah. because like the wiki specifically says it's at the peach pit with Steve. Oh. So I would say it could be with Carl if it continues, but the wiki wasn't very clear of sure. if it continued. But if it is only inside with Steve, then I feel like it's saying like Steve's going to get hurt again because somebody thought they were in love with him and then like this other thing shows up. Oh boy. So yeah, that was that was a very uh, pointed musical choice. And it makes me sad, again, that nobody knew what streaming rights were going to be back in 1996 and just, like, yeah. <laughs> let them go. No, I agree. It's so funny. Um, I, I think I think this show does it more than any other show I've watched, like, from, I guess, probably pre-2000s um, with the whole streaming rights and music situation. Because, like, Dawson's Creek does it for their theme song, which mm -hmm. is wild. And that was more paula cole's side of not wanting to like like let them have her song to use mm -hmm. but still like that's pretty wild but um but yeah like for beverly hills this is like the only one that i've encountered this with so often right because even dawson's creek she ended up giving the song if you mm -hmm. watched like what the last month it was on netflix her mm -hmm. song was back and i haven't watched it enough on hbo to remember but i think it's there too like, I'm not sure. I think they finally like, like settled came on to something. A, yeah, came to some agreement and it's there. I'm like, I know there's like dozens of us that watch 90210. Just <laughs> dozens. There's dozens of us. <laughs> just let it happen. Yeah. And like, I would just be so curious. I know nothing. Like, if someone out there knows the actual details of streaming rights and can explain, like, I'm five. Please. I would love it. I would appreciate it. You can email us at backtopodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, because I'm really, like, curious if it's a legal thing, if it's a copyright thing, if it's um, – If it's a money thing. Yeah. Like, what – because obviously, like, there's been a lot of hullabaloo about uh, Kate Bush's song in Stranger Things this season. Mm -hmm. And – I remember reading a little bit about that and, and Kate Bush was interviewed saying like historically she is really selective about who is able to use her music. So I'm like, is that because again of money or is it because of you just like your own reputation? Like what, mm -hmm. you know, what goes on? And, and meanwhile, like Taylor Swift, same thing. Like she is also very selective. She partners with specific people and partners and things like that. And yeah, I'm just real curious. So, yeah, out there, all dozens of you who are watching the show with us, if you know anything about it, I would be more than curious to to learn about it. Oh, yeah, I would love to hear about it. But until then, we can keep going with this episode. Mary, do you want to tell us what else happened this week? No. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. 
Joe doesn't like the strike the match video David and Donna made for PM5K, mostly because, like last week, he doesn't like Donna dancing around in a leather vest and hot pants. Tough for him because A, she's very hot, and B, the industry people want more Donna. Yeah, I think it's so funny that he was just like, nobody wants this. You should take this out. And then they're immediately just like, you know what this video needs? More you. Mm -hmm. Not just more women, more Donna. Mm -hmm. So I have another small fun fact here that I'm kind of like extrapolating on my own. But this time I went to IMDb and there's the guy credited with like actually working on this music video Mm. is a guy named Jim Hirschleder. Hirschleder? I can't totally pronounce that. But he was the music producer for the show The Heights, which is the one that Jamie Walters was on before he came to 90210, and he directed Jamie Walters' How Do You Talk to an Angel video. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is the only credit he has on 90210, and I have to think that, like, these two things kind of played together. Like, they needed Mm -hmm. to make a music video. They had already talked to Jamie Walters. They already saw all that stuff, so they called this Mm. guy. Yeah, connections. So yeah, just just a little fun fact. Fun fact. Which, speaking of, again, this is why this episode is on the DV- the DVDs and not streaming because Power Man Five Thousand is credited again. Which they're not there in um, person, but they are there in the music video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see a lot of the music video and we hear a lot of the song, and for some reason. Like, I don't know, maybe not some reason, but Donna and David brought the video over to Casa Walsh Mm -hmm. for Joe Brandon and Susan to look at, which my first note is like, this must be the non-target demographic. Yeah, I couldn't figure out who the target demo would be for this song. David? Yeah. I mean... You know, we find out later that the whole reason Joe was against all of this is because of jealousy and not, you know, actually disliking this song. But Joe was very clear the second he heard it. He was like, this is noisy and I'm not into it. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we remember we kind of made a a Riley from Buffy reference last time just being kind of just a simple guy who probably enjoys like um, country radio, maybe a little bit of like soft rock you know, he, he gives me, like, James Taylor vibes, like, stuff like that, which mm-hmm. no bashing on him whatsoever. I love James Taylor, and I used to be a big, big country music fan, so I don't care. Um, but, yeah, this is definitely not for Joe in terms of what he probably likes um, musically. Yeah, and the only thing I think we know about Brandon musically was from, like, choosing to go to the Rolling Stones concert. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've really heard him make a big deal about music before yeah like he's more of the sports journalism politics kind of audience so we don't mm-hmm. even know that he's really that into music I bet if Brenda were here she would enjoy it yeah and then yeah Susan we just have no idea so she yeah frankly she just might have been there right but it was actually pretty cute that they were there because it's kind of I had the same vibes from Brandon and Susan than I did Steve and Claire this episode because like you know first of all it's just cute that David asked his 
friends for feedback because like I feel like I would do the exact same thing even if they weren't the target audience I'd be like hey give me like some good third-party feedback here Mm -hmm. but while they're getting ready for it Donna and Donna Susan and Brandon are like sitting down waiting for it to start and Susan just like starts tickling Brandon and Brandon's like hey stop that stop that (laughs) like kind of swats her away and it was just really cute um but yeah, and then Joe is just like, he looks like a dad in this scene that is like having to watch his daughter's like ballet recital or dance recital or something like that. He's like standing by the fireplace with like his head in his hand like, and he just like clearly does not like it. And I felt so bad for him because like, like you said, it'd be one thing if it was just like he just really didn't like the music but then we learn it's the whole jealousy thing so it like ends up being okay I guess but I'm still like oh god <laughs> Joe hates this he hated it so much I mean you know David walks out of the room he says he's nauseous from yeah. the idea of like people watching this and that he wants to like totally rework the beginning or he says he's nervous I said in my notes, I was like, this video is making me nauseous because it is so much jump cut around and like the the music is loud. I'm a baby. I am I am Joe in this moment where I'm just like, <laughs> it's very professional looking. Yeah, that's his comment. Well, it's uh, professional. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he even calls out. He's like, David says, you know, I want to rework things. There's things I'm not happy with. And, you know, how could you even know if it was good or not? Because you've been watching Joe this whole time. Yeah, which I don't really blame Donna. Like, Mm -mm. especially after what happened, maybe David doesn't know what, you know, conversation happened between Donna and Joe at the warehouse when they were actually shooting it. So, Mm -hmm. like, I can understand both sides. Like, obviously, David wants – he asked his friends for feedback, so he genuinely wants to know what they think so that he can make this the best that he can – But then also from Donna's perspective, like, yeah, she's going to watch her boyfriend's reaction because not only is she standing up there, like, you know, and very um, not scantily clad because, like, she looks great, but, like, revealing more so than her normal wear um, and clothing. But then also the conversation they had, like, Joe is clearly uncomfortable with the fact that Donna was even in this music video. So then when they're actually watching it, she's, like, all over the music video as opposed to just a couple of shots here and there so Mm. I I mean I totally get both sides here yeah and I mean I think it's interesting you know Donna's recent history with boyfriends she had Ray who like he policed the things that she wore I mean remember when they were in Palm Springs and he and Felice were like oh yeah yeah. we're gonna get her to cover up and change how she dresses like Mm -hmm. I feel like Donna's also got this like personal experience where, you know, she probably has a lot of faith that Joe is not going to treat her like Ray did, but she's like, I could be stepping out of my bounds. Like, what is he looking at? What's he thinking right now? Mm -hmm. But they go back in. I love Susan's comment. Susan is so perfect. Yeah. She's like, I love that the woman has the fire and the men have to all come to her. (laughs) Brandon's like, really now? (laughs) Well, and Brandon's just like, it's awesome. I love it. And Susan is like, I have commentary. Yeah. (laughs) I could write a thesis on this video. I also love like Susan was clapping normally. Brandon clapped with like two fingers in his palm. (laughs) They're such weirdos and I love them so much. 
you can just see them like being authentically themselves which is wonderful um (laughs) yeah they just make me giggle when I see them on screen I love it and I'm gonna miss them I am too but I gotta say not a good look for Joe right now no he like gets really uncomfortable after he calls a professional goes in the kitchen to get some water and Donna goes to check after him just to make sure he's okay but like Ugh, the things he says is just so concerning. I mean, he's very concerned with the music video being on TV and how he would feel after seeing the music video on TV. His parents, how they would feel after seeing it being on TV. And that Donna is a quote-unquote sex object. Yikes. He asked, he's like, aren't you just a little bit embarrassed? Ugh, big gaslighter move there. Right? I was like, this is mean. This is like personal attacks this is like how dare you not think about my feelings Mm -hmm. like this is not a good look right now and you know joe is not a perfect person right like we've never i don't think we've ever said that and if we have you know i take it back in this moment yeah but man and then donna who is clearly hurt in this moment and looking like she's sending out repair signals she's trying to make this better she goes what do you want me to do and joe says i don't know i think you've already done enough and that's the thing like we know joe's projecting here like whether it's out of jealousy whether it's out of fear like you know we know there are things like because joe has always been pretty supportive of john of donna like he hasn't He hasn't been a bad guy to Donna Mm -hmm. is the thing. So him acting like this is a bit out of character, but also coming from a place where this isn't a stretch for him to truly feel right. Like he's kind of going the whole like, quote unquote, Christian values way Mm -hmm. of of the whole sex object. I mean, even Donna said, like, it's not like I've committed some cardinal sin here. Like, she even uses words that he probably identifies with. So it's not a stretch. It just feels out of character in the sense that we've never seen Joe like this before. Yeah, exactly. I feel like they're changing Joe's character to make it easier to get rid of him Mm -hmm. when, like, I don't know. I feel like in the past he's been much more supportive and, you know, again, we find out later it's not about any of this. He's just projecting. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is mean. This is very hurtful. And he's been very hurtful for the last, like, episode or two when he just wasn't before. Yeah. It really sucks. And, of course, Donna's going to take it to heart. I mean, you see in the next scene with Donna and David, David's working on some final edits. Donna brings her notes over and starts talking, like, literally, you know, at this marker, uh, Mm -hmm. cut that. At this marker, cut that. Um And David notices a pattern because it's literally all the shots with her in it. And so he's like, hang on, hang on. Like, are you sure those are your notes or are they Joe's notes? Because that's what they sound like. And so Donna gets like a little defensive here because she doesn't want to admit that it's Joe's notes and that Joe is the one kind of pulling the string here. But at the same time, she just wants to make everyone happy. Like she Mm -hmm. doesn't want conflict. We all know that about Donna. And when David is finally just like, no, I'm the director. Like, I'm going to go with what notes I think makes sense. 
you know, Donna gets upset, obviously, but it's not just, not necessarily because David's not taking what she said to heart, but it's because she knows Joe's going to be unhappy. Yeah. This is, you know, she's, you said she doesn't like conflict, which is very true. And I feel like in this moment where David is pushing back on her, she's like, I have to pick the path that is going to work out best for everyone. And we have to, she says, if you don't do this for me, I will never work with you again, which is like a power move. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's a little harsh. I don't really know how I feel about it, but you can kind of tell that the point of doing it is to make Joe happy by getting it all cut out. And then David still has a video and she came up with other options. She's like, Hey, you cut me out at, you know, two thirty-five, but you put in shots of the band to refocus everything back on the band and less on me. Right. Like she's at least trying, but she is going to get her way in this. Yeah. At least until they go to the management company. Right. Because the management company loves the video. They think, you know, oh my gosh, imagine what y'all could do if you had some money. And what we're going to go ahead and tell you is that if PM5K gets signed, we'll give you a three-video deal and you can help us get other people signed and create these videos. However... We're going to be involved in the creative process, which, like, personally sets off alarm bells in my head. Yeah, me too. And he says the video needs to be hotter and sexier and very specifically needs more Donna. Which he's not wrong. I mean, yeah, she was a great part of the video. Clearly, like, David agrees and, you know, he's he was the one that was, like, director of, of this music video. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, this is a huge opportunity. And even David agrees, and he's like, yeah, I'll recut this. I'll get it back to you tomorrow, which is very fast. And the dude, the executive, is, like, impressed by that. But once they leave, Donna's mad that David didn't really ask her opinion at all, um, which I totally understand. Like, I totally yeah. agree they should be partners in this, and that is the thing. But, again, this isn't normal Donna being upset about the him not asking her opinion because of her, he's mad be, or she's mad because like the whole reason why she wanted it to be recut in the first place. And David points out like, hey, this is a huge opportunity. And it is, especially uh-huh. for David, because like we don't really know what Donna wants to do in terms of her career after college. But we know David wants to be in the music industry. And this is a huge, huge, huge opportunity for him. Yeah, I mean, this basically combines every interest that we've seen David have for the entire show. Yeah. Because he was behind a camera in high school, then he got into music, then, you know, the music got him in trouble, and now he's able to get back into it in, you know, clearly a much healthier way, and this is a way that gets him back to where he wanted to be, and... I guess, you know, kind of the same thing of Donna avoiding conflict. Like, she knows this is going to make Joe mad, but she knows what this is going to do for David. So, you know, she's going to let it happen. Right. And I will say, I feel like, I don't know if it's a small thing or a big thing, but David does not mention anything of like, oh, well, we had originally had all of that in, but like Donna made me cut it out. I'll put it – like he doesn't say anything about what happened. He's just like, no, I can recut it. Yeah. I have a ton of footage that I can put in. Just give me some time. Yeah, like that's a good thing. He doesn't like throw Donna under the bus or something. Like – Yeah. I know David doesn't always necessarily handle everything 
the best way, but he did handle that well. Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wouldn't surprise me that they walked out of that room and him being like, I told you I was right. Right. Exactly. But he didn't. So. Oh, I love this so much better. So (laughs) much better. Well, and so like afterwards, after that meeting, now that Donna knows like, hey, she's going to be more in this video or at least the same amount (laughs) Mm -hmm. that the original cut was, she, she goes over to Joe's to tell him basically like, hey, like I'm just trying to be upfront with you, but here are the changes we have to make to the video. I wanted you to know. And then Joe kind of surprised me here. He was like, okay. Like, he literally was not upset about it at all. And this is more the Joe that we know, right? Mm-hmm. The more like, hey, I took some time to think about it after we talked. And I'm really embarrassed how I handled that. Like, that is Joe. And yeah. I'm actually really proud and pleased with the writers here not doing like a character assassination situation not that they were going that far but I'm just glad they like made it right in the same episode and in a way that I feel Joe is right for Joe yeah no I'm very conflicted right now because when that earlier scene happened I was like okay it's a character assassination Joe's gonna be gone in three episodes and we're not gonna be sad about it and then he full-on apologized admitted mm-hmm. he was in the wrong that it was projecting because he was jealous he doesn't want to own Donna he wants her to have her own life and I was like damn it I know you got me it's like wow we okay we got some mature relationships going on <laughs> right but at the same time this is very similar to what's happening with Brandon and Susan where Susan got mad at the idea of Brandon taking this job and now they're back to normal and like going to go on this trip together and I feel like you can't have both of them work out well. Right. Either right. one works out well, none work out well, but having both work out well doesn't feel right for 90210. Yeah, and I honestly I know who all the characters end up with, so I can't obviously say a whole lot. <laughs> But I'll just point out that one of these actors gets a distinction in their credit and the Mm. other does not. So thinking in terms of how expensive they might be. (laughs) That's fair. I haven't been paying attention to that. Yeah. I mean, usually it's just a contractual thing and sometimes it comes with more money. Sometimes it doesn't. More of a reputation thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a reason Judy Dench gets – and Dame Judy Dench at the end of every movie <laughs> she's in, right? But – Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, we'll see. We shall see. Until then, Mary, what else happened this week? Colin's lawyer makes a great deal with the DA to where Colin only has to serve time in a halfway house rather than go to prison. He's so happy and so appreciative of Val for getting him through financially and, I guess, emotionally. But they have a new apologetic suit to buy, so let's think about that part later. Unfortunately, the judge, fairly to be honest, decides that the deal the DA offered is bullshit and sentences Colin to the minimum two years in prison as a warning to other future criminals so they know not to lead police on high-speed chases. That was easily the funniest moment in my life when they were in court 
And Colin is like, this isn't the DA that we talked about. And then this DA does exactly what she was supposed to from the conversation with the other DA. And then the judge is like, mm, too bad. Yeah. No, you guys don't make the rules. I'm the judge for the reason, for a reason. <laughs> yeah, because his lawyer even said, like, Judge Hanlon's going to go easy on you because he's progressive with first-time drug offenders. Everyone glazing over the high-speed car chase. Well, that and literally the O.J. Simpson car chase, like that is the whole point, I believe, to this storyline is the oh, for car sure. chase. Like, <laughs> yeah, Colin was on drugs and there was a lot of ripple effect for the drug situation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the point the point is the, the, the evading cops. <laughs> yeah. No, all of this is the evading cops. We're dealing with the drug stuff over with Kelly because – you notice Colin is just, like, magically clean right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he can pick it up and put it down, like, nobody's business. Wow. Yeah. Very – I don't know if that's just extreme self-control or, like, distractedness. <laughs> yeah. I think they were just – like, they were focusing so much about the high-speed car chase that they were just like, eh, Colin spent, like, 48 hours in jail. He's clean now. Yeah. He went through withdrawal. He's all right. Yeah. But yeah, they find out that, you know, the DA and his lawyer have made this agreement and that he'll totally be fine. And Val wants to buy him a new suit. And all I'm sitting here thinking, you know, he's like, I'm totally going to pay you back. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. She's your sugar mama. You are just jumping from woman to woman. Which I really hope that doesn't eventually bite Valerie in the butt because I want her to succeed like I want her to be able to keep the pee pad and continue on to other business ventures should she desire to you know like I am very pro Valerie businesswoman I am too and I feel like she's gonna be smart enough to figure it out hopefully well hopefully because you know they go to court he gets sentenced for Two years in prison because this judge is like, no, you endangered a lot of lives. Like, this isn't a drug charge. This is, like, could have killed people charge. Right. And the second he gave him two years, like, all this stuff started going through my head. I was like, our two options here are that Colin has miraculously matured in this time and isn't going to run. He's going to go to prison. He'll serve his time. Maybe he gets out early. Who knows? Mm -hmm. And they'll do, like, a special guest star in season eight where he comes back. Or he's Colin and he runs just like he did when he was going to get arrested for drugs that led him to this in the first place. Like, he is not learning his lesson. This boy is running. Val's getting screwed. And that's going to be the next interesting thing, much like Dylan having to get his money back, is Val Mm going to be trying to, like – keep herself going right like is is she gonna have to partner with jonesy again (laughs) i would die (laughs) like could uh this show does not have the bandwidth to like correctly handle the emotional manipulation of jonesy and val i just like what worries me is the whole conversation after the i guess the hearing or or the arraignment I think it was mm-hmm. technically an arraignment um after that's over you know like they come back to the loft Colin's visibly and honestly 
accurately upset mm-hmm. about what happened because it was totally not what he expected. But Val's still trying to be like, hey, man, like we can still try an after trial motion. We can still work on this. This isn't the end. Like she is not necessarily glass half full, but she is definitely not half glass empty. Like she is still trying to figure out a solution here. And as we know about Colin, again, like as much as we can talk about like whether it's right or wrong for him to get mad at Val, it is at least on brand for his character and what we have known to be Colin because he gets mad at Val. Not to Val, but at mm-hmm. Val. Um, and it's like, what, you're just going to sit there and like tell me it's all going to be fine? Which is not what she said, but also like that's just his – he think, he hears what he wants to hear, right? Yeah. He's so. putting words in her mouth and then starting an argument over what he thinks she's saying, even mm-hmm. though that is literally not what she said. Yeah. I mean, she even says like, you got to like pull yourself together. She doesn't say that, say that, but like she's basically like – It'll be okay. I'm not going to leave your side. Like, you're not alone in this. You can do this. You're strong. And without so much as saying it, she kind of says she's going to wait the two years for him, which, no, ma'am. No, right. ma'am. <laughs> I, I heard that, too. I was like, she's going to – she is ready to sit there for two years while he is in prison and go visit him and let him yell at her every time she goes to visit him and – prison and i'm gonna need val to not do that i just i think you know outside of the realistic tv world options i i just think it's unrealistic to ask a 21 year old to do that like even if she's willing i just don't think as a 21 year old you would actually do that no and especially not when you've only been dating for like a couple months Yeah, like, it would have to be extenuating circumstances. Like, if they had had, like, a kid together or they were married or on their way to being married. I was like, a longer relationship than this and maybe not one where, you know, she spent a good bit of his last relationship subtly, not so subtly, trying to break him up with his girlfriend. All of her friends hate him. He hates all of her. Like, this is a toxic place. And I would love nothing more than Colin to just leave and Val to move on from him and, like, have her own, you know, brand of messy bitch. Yeah. Agreed. Off by herself. Well, and let's be real. We're all rooting for Val here. Like, as as diabolical and chaotic as she can be, like, I still want her happy. I love okay. villains. <laughs> I just, like, so much of me is an absolute shock that she's just, like, with the friend group when so many people have so many opinions about her that like yeah i just i want that versus the colin stuff yeah same i miss her banter with the group oh my gosh when we get to the part about like i think i know who keyed your car oh yeah cannot wait until that comes out with the friend group i know right i mean Do we have anything else to talk about with Colin or are we ready to go to like the thing? Yeah, I think I think that's that's all that I had in my notes about Colin. All right, Mary. Tara murders Kelly's fish and hits on Brandon as a last attempt to be close to her. Unfortunately for Tara anyway, Kelly realizes it's very much time for Tara to get the fuck out of her house. Tara takes one last walk to the beach before Kelly takes her to the boarding house. 
Kelly decides to snoop through Tara's stuff, finding a letter from her parents that indicates the opposite of what we've heard from Tara up until this point. Kelly decides to confront Tara, but Tara still has that gun and a plan to make sure she and Kelly will be friends forever. I love Kelly's excuse of, I wasn't snooping. I moved your bag and it fell open. (laughs) Like, I moved it by the clasps. What could I help if the clasps just fell open? I mean, she may as well have said, yeah, I snooped through your things. Like, (laughs) I was shocked she didn't admit it. She was just like, yeah, I did. (laughs) Like, you could throw that suitcase on a wall and it would not pop open. (laughs) They were very specific when she put the suitcase on the table and pop, pop. Like, this was not, there was no accident happening here. That was hilarious. Oh, my God. It would have been great if she had to, like, break a lock. And she was like, the lock just (laughs) fell off. I don't know. I don't know how this mallet got here. I just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But, yeah, so, like, picking right back up from last week, you know, like, Tara has her camera out with a tripod that we also saw from her suitcase last time. Claire, Donna, and Kelly are heading out to go somewhere. Tara wants to stop them for a group picture. And the vibe is better than last week. Yeah. Um, Because they all agree to take the picture. Donna even wants a copy of the picture. But, like, I think the vibe's only good because Tara's on her way out. Yeah, I think Donna is definitely, like, playing nice here. Mm-hmm. I fully admit, like, I, I would not be surprised if she's like, yeah, give me a copy of that. And then just, like, folds over the Tara piece. Yeah. Just be like, it's just the three roommates. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, a little bit comedic despite the actual story that, you know, everybody goes outside and they're talking about her moving out. And Kelly's like, yeah, I think she's finally accepted. She has to move out. And then we go back inside and Tara is murdering Kelly's pets. Dude. And looking in the mirror again. Seriously, she is just like staring at herself with her new hair. Uh huh. And then she like saunters over to the fish. And at first, like we think, which again, Kelly asked her to feed her fish. That was the reason mm-hmm. she's going over there. And she says, like, just a little dab. And at first, I thought she was like pulling like Old Bay seasoning or something <laughs> out of her bag because it looked like a yellow with a red top kind of situation. Um, I do think it was actually fish food. It was just a different bottle <laughs> than the actual fish food. And then just like dumps whole the thing. whole bottle. Whole thing. Yeah. Honestly, my first thought was like someone better be running in there to like scoop those fish out because they literally will actually overfeed themselves. Like, Oh, for sure. For sure. This, for is sure. A, this is a thing. Yeah. But yeah, she just walks in and just murders Kelly's pets like it's nothing. Yeah, that was wild. That was very, like, I, I don't know. I got um, Of Mice and Men vibes there. Ooh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Because when, yeah. like, when Lenny kills the rabbit, it's like he just he just does. Like, it's, like, no big deal. Granted, there's other things at play there. But still, you could tell, like, with Tara, this is just collateral damage at this point. Now – why, like she has reasons for or at least she claims to have reasons for the other things that she do she did but with this nah this is just straight up like nah like screw kelly she can't have anything 
Yeah. When she, like, confesses to all of her things later, I don't think she even brings up the fish. Like, no, she doesn't. Well, she denies killing them. Yeah. I I think this is just in the moment. She was like, I could feed them or I could just dump this whole thing in here. Yeah, exactly. Like, who's going to tell me, you know, what to do or whatever. But before we get the confrontation, at the newsroom, Brandon walks into the dark room and sees Tara, which he immediately is like, Kelly? Because from behind, even Same despite haircut. being like five inches shorter, <laughs> they do look very similar. But it's it's Tara developing film. And all of the photos she's developing are of just Kelly. Yeah. It's really creepy. And it seems like she didn't actually get Brandon's help to get in here. Yeah. Because that was Kelly's whole thing. She was like, oh, yeah, Brandon will get you into their dark room so you can develop your photos. But then when Brandon goes to talk to Susan, Susan's like, oh, yeah, your friend's in the dark room. And he was just like, what? Who? Huh? Yeah. I have a friend? <laughs> in the dark room? And then, yeah, Tara just starts, like, talk. she's like, oh, yeah, Kelly talks to me about you all the time. She said she's never going to get over you. And then she, like – straight up lunges at him for a kiss mm -hmm. and it was interesting because usually like up into this point Tara's been very calculated and mm -hmm. very intentional and this almost feels like she just like lost it for a second you know like she lost that normal control yeah it's it's like since Kelly has told her she has to leave she's gone into panic mode yeah and her panic decisions are murdering Kelly's fish and trying to assault Brandon. And the reasoning she gives is that she just wanted to see what it would be like to be Kelly. And again, this is like Tara accidentally, maybe on purpose, but accidentally sort of revealing her plans, right? Like this is a alarm bell for Brandon to take, to like hear this, see this and then act on it. But if she had not done this and just made some other comments or been subtle, he probably wouldn't have even noticed anything. For sure. But instead, the next time we see him is right before watching the music video where he's calling Kelly to be like, hey, look, uh, something weird happened and I think we need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, when he left the message, I was like, this is a horrible idea. Oh, Tara yeah. goes in and listens to the messages. And will erase it. Like, I totally thought she was going to hear it before Kelly did and just erase it. I assumed she was going to be in the room when Kelly got the message. Mm, that would have been good, too. Just like, yeah, lurking in the doorway. And it's mm -hmm. just like, you don't believe him, do you? Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right. But, you know, Brandon kind of continues on this. Like, there's a short scene where he goes to Val and is like, hey, I think Tara may be crazy, bold choice of words, mm -hmm. and may have keyed your car. Yeah, and Val's just like, huh, go figure. <laughs> like, and then just walks away. I know. She's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> it's just wild. Well, so she does wild. have other, um, ooh, I was going to use, she has other fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> She has a court to look hot at. Right? God, does she ever, though? <laughs> yeah, no joke. 
God, Tiffany Thiessen, man. I know we're talking about really serious things right now, but she can forever get it. She still gets it, man. Seriously. She just looks so good. Even like, and she has perfected the face where she's just like, hmm, Mm. like attracts like or whatever she says. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so meanwhile, like you said, Brandon's kind of like on this thread now and, you know, he says it to Val almost looking for validation, I think, Mm -hmm. um, to think like, oh yeah, okay, I'm on the right track. But meanwhile, Tara and Kelly get home from group therapy they kind of commiserate on the fact that they're ready for it to be over she checks her messages hears the one from brandon sees that her fish are dead immediately walks back into the living room and confronts tara about it tara lies about how much food she fed to the fish gets really mad at kelly for even accusing her in the first place and then kelly is like firm on this she's like nope you need to get out of here like Tara even goes to the fact of like, no, Kelly, you need me. Kelly's like, absolutely not. Tomorrow you're gone. I like speaking of hitting the panic button, I feel like you can tell with Tara, you know, she's she's pretty calm in her insistence that it's not her, I guess, compared to what she could be. Yeah. But she claims it was a clogged filter. And Kelly's just like, there is food all over. Like, I can right. see all the extra food. Which what yeah. are you talking about? Exactly. Because like, again, up until this point, Tara's been very calculated. So you would even think if this was a premeditated thing and wasn't just almost like a spur of the... I mean, it wasn't too spur of the moment because she had alternative food to give the fish. Mm-hmm. However, if this had been non-panic moment, Tara that we've come to know, she would have fed overfed them, but to still keep it secret, right? Yeah, or like skimmed the top or, mm-hmm. you know, her excuse is that it's a clogged filter. Maybe you actually clogged the filter and mm-hmm. just like you know, hurt the fish that way. But yeah, she's like grasping now. Yeah. And yeah, Kelly says you have to be out tomorrow. At which point, you know, we see them and Tara wants to go to the beach that next morning. I guess she goes every morning and she's just trying to play it normal. She's like, maybe if we just like don't acknowledge that I'm supposed to move out today, you're just going to let me stay. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, just come to the beach with me. Like, I'll make it all better. I'll take some pictures of you. Like, please, Kelly, please. And Kelly's like, no, I need you to leave me alone. Go to the beach. Um, That's that's literally it. And Tara, like, is like, fine, I'll do whatever you want, whatever you say. Just promise me that you'll still be my friend. And I feel like you can see Kelly getting frustrated here. She's like, I'm going to be your friend. You just can't live here anymore. Yeah, just go. And when Tara goes outside, she runs into Brandon, mm-hmm. which, you know, Brandon is concerned about what's happening here and doesn't really want Kelly to be by herself. And I can appreciate that. For sure. And T- Tara tries to be like, Kelly thinks that I murdered her fish and I would never do that. Would you say something to her? Which is interesting, again, that she offered that up. Yeah. Like, she's she's losing the thread here. Yeah. But Brandon goes inside. And I do think it's interesting that Kelly was like, I told you you didn't have to come. And he was like, you have a stalker living in your house with you. Yeah. I will offer to be here this whole time if that's what you need. And I think this is a different situation than just like Brandon being overprotective or Mm -hmm. 
trying to save her or things like that because it's a genuine concern for her well-being. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's been consistently over the last year or even few months inserting himself into situations, right? Like he mm-hmm. he and Kelly have had very few scenes together this entire season. Yeah, I feel like he inserts himself into Kelly's life these past couple of storylines. Like since she ended the engagement, I feel like he inserts himself when it's important and like vital to saving her life. Like going and yeah. like trying to get her to seek help for her drug addiction and infiltrating the cult so that he can get her out of it. And then when, you know, all of these things happen with Tara and he's putting the pieces together, like making sure that she knows. Yeah. I am slightly sad. I feel like a couple of weeks ago we made the prediction that David was going to figure it out first. And I'm Mm. a little sad that that didn't happen. Yeah. And then it's Brandon, but Brandon has main character syndrome. So like I get it. Brandon had to do it. And they have a connection, right? Like, yeah, it's not like it's out of left field. It's not. I just, I really liked our David idea. Yeah. And I wish it had happened. Well, you know, I think Brandon does a good job here saying, you know, accurately pointing out this is an unhealthy situation that even the doctor mm-hmm. um, mentioned it being a precarious situation, but also that Kelly has gone above and beyond for her, which she has. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, Brandon does kind of like sandwich the compliments, you know, but like, hey, let me let me stay here, help you out. You've done a great job. This is toxic, you know, and Kelly's just like, hey, I appreciate that. I've got it handled. Literally, I'm just going to put all of her stuff in, in the car so that when she comes back from the beach, all her option is is to just move out. Yep. Get in the car with me and go to the halfway house or the housing place. Mm hmm. But when he leaves and Kelly picks up Tara's suitcase, I guess, you know, this moment flashes where she's like, I don't even know what's in here. Yeah. Like, maybe I should check. Maybe she's checking to make sure that there's nothing that Tara can use to harm herself or there's not, like, drugs that have been in there this whole time or, you know, whatever. But she finds this whole packet of letters and starts reading them aloud where we find out that, yeah, Tara has been lying about her parents and they've been trying to get in touch with her. And sending her their new phone number, sending her letters all the time, being like, I don't understand why you won't reach back out to us. And then we cut away, and while we're gone, Kelly calls Tara's parents. Yeah. And when Tara comes back and finds out, she freaks out. And she's like, my parents lie. They hate me. They're going to lock me up. And I got to say, like, there is this little part of me that's like, Kelly, you shouldn't have just called her parents because, like, mm-hmm. what if there really is a bad situation there and they're, like, you know, gaslighting her in these letters and it's just ends up being an unrelated issue where they're bad people and Tara has a drug problem, like, mm-hmm. you know, quite possibly. But that doesn't matter because Tara confesses to basically everything she did. Yeah. She's like, I did everything for you. I came on to Brandon for you. I keyed Val's car. I even got rid of Greg for you. And like Kelly's face just as she's admitting these things, like it's like a big like light bulb goes off, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't even imagine 
finding out that somebody has been pulling these this many strings in your life. And Kelly's panicked and she's the first thing she thinks of is like, I'm calling our doctor. You yep. need to talk to her. Yep. But she doesn't know because Tara's been carrying it in her other bag that she has a gun. And instead of threatening to shoot Kelly, she threatens to use the gun on herself and then is like, no, I'm in control. What I say goes, you have to listen to me. Um, you know, it's just, ooh, it's a panic situation. It is heightened. It is terrifying. And this is, like, this is probably the best way that she could regain control of the situation because, you know, this whole storyline has been about Kelly taking on the responsibility for her and going above and beyond and this, yeah. this, and this. So as soon as Tara threatens herself and not Kelly, like, yeah, I feel like Kelly's brain is just going to go straight to, like, I have to go along with this. I can fix this. She doesn't have to die. Correct. She doesn't want Tara to hurt herself. She probably isn't even that concerned for her own self, Kelly, because she has taken that role of, like, the big sister to Tara. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's going to listen to whatever Tara says. Tara has has Kelly drive them, um, you know, not sure where, just kind of drive. Like, Tara just keeps saying, keep driving. Um, she's still holding the gun in her lap. But Tara even says, like, I don't want either of us to hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that Kelly just really isn't concerned that Tara is going to shoot her. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of faith to have in someone that seems a little unstable and is willing to murder your pets. Yeah, and manipulate so many different things. Like, I don't know. I guess it does show some sort of a trust or bond between Kelly and Tara, or maybe that Kelly is in that, like, fight-or-flight mode mm -hmm. where – or even the – it's like the fight, flight, or freeze – Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I almost think she's kind of hit that freeze moment where she's like, I don't really know what to do. All I can do is try to survive. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Because like, yeah, she gets in the car with Tara. They drive, you know, however long and then pulls over. She pulls over the car and Tara's like, I just want to rest. And Kelly tries to talk her down and be like, people are going to start worrying they're going to come looking for me. Like, she's not even trying to escape or anything. She's still mm -hmm. trying to talk to Tara. Yeah. But, you know, Tara's not having any of it. And she's like, you have to be gone for 24 hours before anybody starts looking for you. I think we're fine. Yeah. And, like, to this point, Kelly tries to, like, leave. She finally tries to exit the situation. So Tara just, like, bonks her over the head with the gun and Kelly is knocked out. Yeah, and she's knocked out for a while. Like, mm -hmm. anytime somebody is knocked unconscious on TV, it is full-on head trauma. Yeah. Like, to be hit in the head so hard, to be knocked unconscious long enough for someone to put your top up on your convertible, rig your exhaust pipe so that it comes, like, a pipe feeds the exhaust fumes into your car and tie you to the steering wheel, like... Kelly absolutely needs a hospital. Yes, she's out right cold. now. But then when she does wake up, Tara goes into her monologue where she's like talks about how she's been planning this for a long time. She was looking into 
and researching suicide and how many different ways that there are to do it, but that she found a way that this would be gradual and it wouldn't hurt. It would be pain-free. They could do this together. Um, She goes into how every single person in Kelly's life has hurt her in some way and that there's Mm -hmm. just too much pain for Kelly to deal with. Here's the thing I'm giving you as Tara so that you won't feel pain. Yeah, and she's like, we're going to make it a beautiful moment. We're going to watch the sunset. Then I'm going to turn on the car, and then we'll just go to sleep together and not feel any pain anymore. Yeah. And, you know, by the time we cut back to them, the sun has set. Kelly's – or Tara has turned on the car, and Kelly's kind of like – she's – I think she's figured out the thing to do. She's like, you're right. I am in a lot of pain. I don't want to hurt anymore. You know, I'm not mad at you, but please, you got to untie me because this is not how I want to die. I want to just, like, be at peace with you versus being stuck to my steering wheel. hmm And literally the second Tara unties her, Kelly grabs the gun, shoots all of the bullets out of it, and then throws it away. Which, that's actually a great idea, like, to go ahead and just, like, I mean, I don't ever – want anybody to use a firearm but at least she was like shooting it up in the air and Mm -hmm. like trying to get all the bullets out like that's a smart idea and then you know tara like does freak out and not to make light of a situation but like she was screaming friends don't lie and it just stranger things says that too and i'm just all on stranger things these days (laughs) but you know it's tara's hurt but is also kind of conceding in the moment, too. Like, I, I think she hasn't thought this far, right? Yeah. No, I actually wrote pretty much the same thing, not the Stranger Things part because I'm behind, but that she weirdly takes this pretty well. Like, as soon as Kelly wrestles the gun away from her and gets the rest of the bullets out and, like, that is no longer an option, they're out of the car, I think Tara realizes she can't overpower Kelly in like open space, mm-hmm. she does pretty much say like, I'm done. Like she doesn't say she's done, but like uh, physically and everything, like it's over. She's not coming back from this. I don't know. She, she takes it a lot better than I think she could have. I think this could have gone a lot differently. Yeah. Cause I think it's finally like she, cause clearly she didn't think past yeah. the moment. Right. Cause that wasn't the goal. The goal was not to have to need a contingency plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the end of her 42-step plan. There wasn't, you know, 42.A. Mm-hmm. And so we cut ahead, and they're at the hospital. Kelly's fine. Her head injury, weirdly, isn't that bad because it's TV world. <laughs> and we find out that Tara is under suicide watch, and no one's allowed to see her. Kelly says she wants to. Brandon is at the hospital with her. So I guess we can presume that she called Brandon mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, I'll see if I can like get you to talk to her. Yeah. But we never see Tara again. Mm-mm. We find out that Kelly can't go in to see her, but her parents are here and they come say hi to Kelly and they're like, we're going to take Tara back to Colorado with us. We're going to get her into you know a place where she can get help back by us. Everything's going to be fine. And presumably, literally, we never see Tara again. This is the end of her. Yeah, because basically, like, her mom 
thanks Kelly, like almost like bless you for being her friend. Which obviously, you know, she doesn't know the full scope of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do, I do understand it from Tara's mom's perspective that like, if she is, if Tara, if their daughter is now in a psychiatric ward, but had somebody almost looking out for her, things could have been worse if she hadn't, right? Mm-hmm. So I can understand that from like a mother's perspective. Like, thank God somebody was there. Um, But yeah, like we don't know any other story. We will presumably never know any other story about who is, who's telling the truth. What are the facts? What was the situation? Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah, this presumably the final shot of Tara is lying, you know, sleeping or resting in, in the bed in her room. So yeah, this, this is a wild way to wrap up this story. And there are still the bits and pieces like the keying of Val's car. Right. I really hope that doesn't get dropped. I really want to know who had to pay to fix that car. Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's presumably, I don't know, just residual effects, right? The whole fish situation. Got to get those fish out of there. Like, Got to change the locks on the apartment. Right, and like repair trust between the roommates. Like, I don't know. There's, uh, there's There's, There's definitely like residual effects. There's also that comment when Kelly and Tara get back from group therapy and they're like, man, I can't wait for group to be done. And I wrote on my notes, as if therapy is ever done. Mm-hmm. You're not done. And Kelly really needs to be like, well, got a new thing to talk about in therapy. Yeah. Exactly. <sighs> it it almost feels weird to go from that to be like, do you have a quote of the week? Yeah, and I don't really actually. Like I was looking back through it. I think the only thing that I really liked, I'll just reveal it cuz like I said I don't really have a legit quote. I think the only thing I would say is just all the little cutesy moments mm-hmm. um that we got in the relationships. Although I will point out something that I forgot to when we were talking about all the other relationships. We have not heard and I love you in a long, long time between Joe and Donna, between Brandon and Susan, and between Claire and Steve. See? They're they're knocking them all down. They have to take some budget cuts to keep this show going. I will say we've had more emotional moments between Claire and Steve and Brandon and Susan than we have had Joe and Donna. Mm-hmm. But just wanted to throw that out there. No, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, the, like, emotional moments that we see on screen, like, saying I love you is a lot different than, you know, showing you love someone. Yes, 100%. But at at the same time, I think we've also talked about this, where, like, hearing those words makes a big difference. Like, yes. Or hearing words that sound like I love you but are not necessarily, like, uh, yes, and I go so back and forth on like I know. words versus actions because some people just aren't like that. And like I think of my favorite couples in TV, and I'm like, do they really say I love you all that much, or are they just like showing their love as well? And probably the latter, you know, like they probably do show mm-hmm. it more than they say it. But then I'm like, but they do also say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, or they say you know compliments to each other or things like that. So. Yeah, it's not like yeah. mess up than apology. It's like right. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's I'm gonna build you up because I love you, but I'm not saying I love you. Like even thinking about like Gilmore Girls, like Luke and Lorelai hardly ever say the words I love you, but they love each other and it is very palpable. So this is making me think of Bridgerton because I've been binging that series <laughs> for the past week, I guess two weeks now, but it's like a really common trope in all of them where the couple is just like, gosh, they're so nice and wonderful, but do they love me? I can't mm. tell because they never said it. Meanwhile, they're like doing all of these really sweet things for each other and like yeah. clearly showing each other that they love each other and then just being like, but I'm not in love. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I love Bridgerton. I, mean, I love I the love frustration. It so much. But so like good. along along that point though, like bringing it again back to Luke and Lorelai, like for the first four seasons of that show, all Luke ever did was show Lorelai that he loved her. Mm-hmm. When they got together, he continued to do those things. But in season six, I God, I watched this show far too much. <laughs> but like at one point, Luke is like hey, you know I love you, right? And Lorelai literally says, it would be really nice to hear that every once in a while. Like, it's both, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, it's just, it. I go back and forth. I'm so conflicted on it because, like, yes, like, there are point. I think there are more eloquent and more, impactful ways that writers of television can say and do I love you right like Mm -hmm. of course as a writer you don't want to just be like I love you I love you too I love you I love you too like they want to find the special ways to do it right so I'm trying not to get too hung up on it but at the same time it matters because it matters in real life right Mm -hmm. yeah it's really hard to just accept that people are saying I love you in off screensville but I'm like but I want it on screensville yeah like show me because I also like to hear it in my own life, so I imagine that Claire Arnold wants to hear it too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and you know Steve would say it. Oh, for sure. I guarantee Steve is not shy about his words of aff- of affirmation. Yeah, no. Steve worships the ground that Claire work- walks on. Yes, like he tells she her was all living the time. with him for two days, and he was doing her laundry. <laughs> she will want for nothing. Yeah. Ugh. What about you, Mary? Do you have a moment of the week? Um, I don't, but I have a note of the week, which um, I had written down. Like, I tried to quote Joe, like, just saying, I guess that's show business, but apparently, like, I took my notes on my phone yesterday, so apparently autocorrect changed that to shoebox. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that's shoebox. <laughs> that's great. I love that so much. Oh, man. Is it because you tried to put show business as one word? I guess so. I don't like even know what biz? I was doing. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's I so much. I guess that's shoebox. Um, okay. So the last thing I want to do, because I didn't know where else to like fit this in, I'm trying to get in the better habit of Googling the titles of the episodes because I think they're pretty much like all based on songs. Right? So I'm trying to like yeah. look up the songs and see where they come from. That's what caused me to look up a lot of songs earlier. I finally read the lyrics to Strike the Match from Power Man 5000, and that music video makes no sense with those lyrics. <laughs> but 
there is a song called The Big Hurt by Tony Fisher that is very good, actually. I highly recommend you listen to it. But it is, like, it is definitely a song about, like, angst and pain and stuff. Ooh. So it's, like, the first stanza, I guess, is now it begins, now that you've gone, needles and pins, twilight till dawn, watching that clock till you return, lighting that torch and watching it burn. That's that's some angst. Yeah. I wonder when, oh, when will it end? The big hurt. Yeah. And it's like, I try to pretend it's over at last. This time, the big hurt will end. Like, oof. Yeah. That's some like, serious stuff. I... I love how much this show cares about music, and I hate that we don't get all of it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, God, I just think about if One Tree Hill didn't do their streaming rights, like, yeah, it would, it, quite frankly, it might ruin the show. Yeah, I mean, think of how many shows in the 90s got, like, really into somebody owning a club. Yeah, or it even just, just, like, having their, like, with this, like, having their titles of their episodes be referenced two other songs mm-hmm. i mean that's what one tree hill did too every single episode title is a song title yeah i just could you imagine if we actually got to watch it with like the original music and how much yeah. of a different viewing yeah. yeah how it would be agreed so what's next week's episode guys again we are barreling tantalizingly close to our finale of season six i can't believe it um, but we have season six, episode 29. No, it is not the penultimate episode, but we're close. Um, it is called Ticket to Ride. Which and is my favorite board game ever. Yes, it's just such a great board game. So that's all I can think of. Um, I just want angry trains. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see when Ticket to Ride, the board game, came out. Yeah, and this aired um, May 8th, 1996. So exactly a week after this episode that we talked about today. So there were no other, you know, breaks or anything. And we don't get any more breaks until the finale. So. Oh, okay. okay. Take it to ride. The board game was released in 2004. It has nothing to do with this. <laughs> but there, there is a ticket to ride song. I think it's the Beatles. That's what I was, I was trying mm. to remember if that was the title of that song too. Yeah. Take it to ride by the Beatles off of help i also love that every not every most of the songs i look up are released in the 60s like they weren't even born yet but it is interesting because thinking about the writers yeah that is prime prime their teenage years Mm -hmm. so yeah i guess we'll figure out what ticket to ride is about next week and until then you can follow us on twitter and instagram at back to podcast Or you can shoot us over an email if you want to with any of your thoughts or questions or comments or concerns, anything at all, at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community, and that way we can give you all a better product. And, you know, if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the show. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm going to go bankroll a Corvette export business. I'm going to get you a hot dog anyway, because you're just going to want one of mine. I think we got a great start to this podcast, but it could definitely use more hot pants, Donna. Bye. Bye.
see ya.